on a specific one. It's a common one. It's one that the other Gospels also record, but John records it. It's just a, he's got some variation in it. He doesn't include everything that the other Gospels do. He's got his own take on it. And we're going to be looking at John's take on Jesus walking on the water. And uh, what I want you to do, I want you to open it up, open it up to where you, you have it there in your Bible, then I don't want you to read it. We're going to do a, an exercise here this morning where I'm going to read this passage to you. But I'm not going to just read the words. I'm going to read like the amplified version. All right? And the point is that oftentimes when we read scripture, it's sort of just information. But it, it rarely gets from like here down into like here. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read you this story. And I want you to engage your imagination. And think to yourself, really, what would it be like to be here in the midst of this story as it was happening? Okay? So I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to read very slowly. I'm going to read uh, in such a way that it kind of expands the ideas a little bit. And I want you, in your mind, to go to this lake and experience this with the disciples. Okay, so it's not just something that we are reading and just it comes in one ear and goes out the other. We're going to just really focus in on Scripture and really dwell here for a while. Uh, John 6. John 6, verses 16 through 21. Okay? So if, you, if it helps you to close your eyes, feel free to close your eyes. But I'm going to pray that we just at this moment focus on on what God wants to say. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we, um, we acknowledge that with the busyness of our lives, everything that's happening, and even good or bad things that are occurring around us, it is difficult sometimes to just be still and know that you are God. It's difficult sometimes to just come to your word and listen and receive so often, I confess, God, that when I read your word, I'm, I'm studying and I'm looking at it from all different kinds of angles, and I'm never really just listening to it, just receiving it. And so I pray that today and this time that your spirit would allow us, would open our hearts, that we would be centered on your word, and we would allow your word to speak to us, God. So help us, help us, God, to focus on you and what you're saying here. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Jesus had been with them for some time, but now as evening begins to fall, it gets darker, it gets a little colder. They go down to the sea, and Jesus goes to pray. It's just the 12 of them. As they go down to the edge of the water, there's a boat there. And they, they climb on board, and they start across the sea to Capernaum. It's dark. Jesus is not with them. The water is calm. It's a beautiful night. You can see all the stars. There's no lights around. Among the men are hardened fishermen that have navigated this lake for years. 
decades maybe. They know the lake well, so the strokes from the oars are even and strong, and they're making good time. As they go out onto the lake, it gets darker and darker. It's that dark, it's not just a twilight dark, but it's really dark now, very dark. So dark you can barely see around you, but they could see the stars, and they can see the moon, and they, they know which direction to go. And suddenly as they reach the middle of the lake, there's a wind that begins to blow, just a slow wind at first. But the fishermen look at each other and they, they know that winds on the Sea of Galilee can pick up quite quickly. So they sort of acknowledge the wind and people kind of pull their cloaks a little bit closer. It's getting colder. But it's nothing to be too concerned about yet and they keep on rowing. Now at this time the wind begins to pick up a bit more and, and suddenly the, the waves begin to roll. It's no longer a calm sea anymore. Now the boat's starting to go up and down a little bit as it rides the crests of the waves. The men continue to row, but now there's a, more of a sense of urgency about it because they know if they get caught in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee, that's uh, a very dangerous place to be. They need to get to that other side. They need to get to the shore. So the strokes come a little bit quicker as the waves begin to grow a little bit higher. And now the, the water even begins to come splashing over the boat at sometimes as the waves begin to really begin to build and the wind begins to blow fiercely. And now suddenly people have looks of uh, uh, anxiety and worry on their face as the boat begins to ride up on crests of water and hit the water hard and the spray begins to go all over the place and people are getting wet and people are getting nervous and now all of a sudden, if you want to talk to one another, you have to start yelling. Uh, you can't really hear the other voices because the wind is so loud and the sound of the waves is so great. It's difficult even to hear people. You can barely see them. You can barely hear them. Everybody's yelling. Everybody's continuing to row. They know that at this point, you're in the middle of the lake. You're just past the middle of the lake. You have to keep on going forward. There's no going back at this point. So they push, they push hard, they row as hard as they can, even though sometimes the oars come out of the water, they can't quite get underwater because the boat is coming out of the water. But they push, and they're yelling, they're trying to get to where they're going, pull, 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 they're going as hard as they can. And now suddenly it's really fierce. There's rough water. The wind is coming down, sheets of rain coming down upon them. And suddenly there's thoughts beginning to rise that perhaps this is not going to end with them at the shore. This might end with them at the bottom of the ocean here. And the waves are really rolling and they're beginning to come into the boat. And then suddenly one man stops rowing. He's staring outside the boat. And maybe the man next to him says, why aren't you rowing? We need to get through this. But he's just... It's like he's transfixed by something. He's staring at something. And pretty soon our gazes sort of follow his. And there's a, a man walking in the water. Uh, 
and he's still a little ways away, but you can see it's, it's definitely a man. He's definitely walking, but it looks almost like he's walking above the water. It looks almost like the waves, even though there's waves all around him, there's waves in front of him and behind him. It doesn't really look like any waves are actually hitting him. But he's walking towards the men in the boat. All of a sudden, one man realizes, that's, that's Jesus out there, actually. That's Jesus. I see him. And now suddenly there's a sense of panic and a fear. What are you supposed to do when you see a man uh, walking on the rough water? Your boat's being swamped. And Jesus is just walking there. Is it a ghost? Is it an image? Is it a, uh, some sort of spirit? What's, who is this person? Jesus gets closer to them. And they see that he's, he's actually him. This is actually Jesus. He's wearing the same clothes that he was wearing earlier. And as he gets closer and closer to them, they know that even though their boat's being swamped, they have this feeling that they need to let him in. And so some of the men begin to reach out their arms for Jesus to come into the boat as he gets closer and closer. The waves are still going. The wind is still howling. It's still difficult to hear people. But Jesus comes right up near the boat. And even though everybody else has been yelling and it's been hard to hear, when Jesus speaks, it's like he's just whispering it into your ear. He's right there and he says, Ego amin, me phobisatheth. It is I. Don't be afraid. And he reaches out and he grabs the boat. And all of a sudden, the waves are gone. The wind is gone. And their boat is sitting on the shore at their destination. And there's Jesus. Now that's John 6, verses 16 through 21. I want to read it to you now just as it's in Scripture. And then I want to ask you, what was it that stuck out to you? in that story. So here's how it's recorded in John. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. Slightly different than the version that we see in the other Gospels. But what is it in that story? What is it in that uh, episode that stuck out to you? Was there something, even when I was describing it, a feeling that you got or a perception or something that you felt like maybe the Spirit of God was speaking to you? Mike, yeah. Trust in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good. Yes, exactly. Good. Yes, good. Good, Mike. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, Rody. 
Ja. Ja. No, they don't. Yeah, that is interesting. What does that say to you? I mean, does it does it spark anything in in your mind? Yeah. 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 No, I I think that's I think that's probably absolutely true. Uh, certainly, Peter, that episode does occur. So the reason why John doesn't include it must be because John's trying to get something else across. He's trying to to tell us some a different. Angle. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. Was there somebody else over here? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Good. Yes. Yes, very good. Yes. That comes up several times. It comes up again with Lazarus. Do you remember when he says, uh, uh, Martha says to Lazarus, or Martha says to Jesus, if only you were here. Certainly, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If only you were here. Yeah, I, I wonder if that thought was entering their minds as well. Man, if only Jesus were here. Good question. What I didn't read was a little bit of context where Jesus actually tells them to go. Yeah, yeah. Jesus actually tells them. Good question. Yeah, last one. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yes. Thank you, Chuck. Good. Yeah. That, by the way, that's that sort of way of reading where you're not just reading, but you're taking time to really, what was it like to be there? Um, that's something you can do on your own. You don't need uh, me there. You don't need a, you know, you have the Spirit of God with you. So you can do that. Uh, by yourself. Oftentimes, people found that it helps them engage with Scripture in a different way. Different people have different ways of engaging with Scripture. Some people, just listening to it being read is a, is a great way for them to engage. Other people, that's hard to do. It's harder to pay attention to it, or it's harder to... Other people, they need to use their imagination a bit more. Um, and I think that it's not right for us to say, you have to study Scripture in this manner. Um, there are several and many good ways of studying scripture. So find something that works for you. If that worked for you, take that and study scripture with it. If it didn't work for you, don't worry about it. You won't offend me by never doing it again. <laughs> so use it if it helps. Right? Um, but yeah, I want to focus in on this, on this episode a little bit now. Isaiah 42, God says this. He says, do not fear for I am with you. Uh, we've sort of been talking about that a bit. For I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Yes, all who are incensed, incensed against you, all who are angry with you, shall be ashamed and disgraced. Those who strive against you shall be nothing and shall perish. You, uh, you shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not be afraid. I will help you. And that's, of course, the exact words that Jesus tells the disciples. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. The sea, the Sea of Galilee, any sort of large body of water uh, in the first century was seen as a place symbolic of death. I want to explain to you why that was. Uh, If you notice that there's like a plane, right? So you can look at the horizon and see there's a flat, what appears to be a flat plane, right? Um, When you go underneath that plane, it's usually because you are being buried in the first century. There was no reason to go digging underground uh, and go underneath the, the plane, the ground, unless you were being buried, right? So very quickly, this down below was seen as a place of the dead. And the water, the same way. So if you read in Revelation, it says, the sea will give up its dead. Right? That's, not just because, that's not just to say those who have died in the sea. But the sea is symbolic of death. And later in Revelation, you read it says, and the sea will be no more. Why is that? Because God doesn't like water? No, it's because the sea is symbolic of death. So when it says the sea will be no more, he's talking about death. Death will be no more. And in fact, when we do baptism, we're going to have baptism uh, pretty soon here. Uh, Sylvia and Bonnie both need to be baptized. So we're scheduling that. But when you're baptized, you do what? You go under water, and it's symbolic of you dying, of you dying in Christ, and of you, when you come back out of the water, being raised again to new life in his resurrection. So even uh, in a modern sense, we have this idea of water being a place where you bury people, and then you bring them back up again. Especially, uh, especially compounded with that is the fact that in the first century, people didn't have swimming lessons. You did not go swimming recreationally in the first century. You didn't have time. You were working. And then you were praying that you worked hard enough that you didn't die. So even fishermen don't swim. They don't know how to swim. So, and and the, a little bit of biblical proof for that, not that, you know, a little bit of big, biblical proof for that. There's extra biblical proof as well, but a little bit of biblical proof is in these other versions of the story. In Matthew, for example, Jesus calls Peter out, to the, out of the boat. And Peter walks on the water. But then, of course, he sees the waves and he begins to sink and he says, help me, Lord, I'm drowning. Now, how could a fisherman who's been fishing on lakes for 20 years be drowning? Well, it's because he didn't know how to swim. He doesn't know how to swim. You don't swim recreationally in the first century. It's not something you do. If your boat goes down in the water, everybody goes down with it. That's just what happens. So um, when it says here that they were terrified, it's not, a, it's not like in a modern sense where it's like, well, just grab a lifeboat or just grab a life vest or like, well, the Coast Guard will catch you. 
or, you know, well, just swim. People, yeah, people on the Sea of Galilee in the first century, if your boat went down, that's it. You're done. So it's, it's a bigger issue, I think, than sometimes uh, we make of it. So the sea, water, large bodies of water, uh, you get this also in the book of Jonah, uh, you get this in the Psalms. I went down to the depths of the sea uh, where I made my bed among the dead. Uh, so the sea, the water, ocean is seen as a place of death, right? So when Jesus starts to walk on the water, walking on the water towards them, their first guess is this is a spirit. Why? Because this is a place of death. But then they realize, no, it's not a spirit at all. This is Jesus walking on the water as if the water couldn't even take him. As if he can't even sink into the water. Right. I, death is one of those things that I think is a universal fear for all of humans. It's understandable. Nobody wants to die, I don't think. People might want to end suffering, but they don't want to die. I think Christians have this beautiful thing where we can say, I'm not afraid of dying. And you have this long tradition of martyrs of our faith, people who have actually died for their faith. What was, what were, why were they able to do that? It's because we've seen Jesus walking on the water. We've seen him walking over death, trotting it underneath him. So death no longer holds its potency for us. In fact, Paul says, where, O death, is your sting? Where is that thing that's supposed to scare me? I've seen my Lord walking on the water. I've seen Jesus conquer death. So death doesn't hold as much, it's not as much of a problem for me as it might have been. One hymnist said, uh, said these words. He said, when peace like a river right, attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's not well because my circumstances are telling me it's well. It's well because I know I've seen Jesus walking on the water. And what is that in your life? What are those moments in your life? What are those testimonies? Remember this year we were talking about testimonies and witness. What are those testimonies in your life where you've seen Jesus walking on the water? Those things that you can point to and say, I felt God at that moment in my life and something changed, something switched at that moment. Or maybe it's even a physical thing, like for example, what Stan just experienced. Something that could have very well been deadly was shunt into another direction as God provided what was needed to have happen. What are those things in your life? When have you seen Jesus walking on the water? Take those things. Don't let them go. Take them. Because there's times when the waves begin to roll, right? There's times when that, the wave begin to come into the boat even. There's times when our lives are full of disruption, when fu- full of death. And at those moments... You've got to remember, 
I've seen Jesus walking on the water. So that you can say like Martha finds out. You can say like the disciples find out. Even though I can't see Jesus here physically with me. Martha was wrong. She says to Jesus, Jesus, if only you were here, Lazarus couldn't die. And Jesus says to her, don't you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Believe that. Death doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Jesus walks upon death. So that even though we might die physically, we look forward to our own resurrection as we participate with Jesus in his resurrection. That's the exciting part of that. So the disciples perceive Jesus. He's walking on the water towards them. They're terrified. Jesus identifies himself. It is I. It is I, he says. And they turn their fear into an invitation. It says that they wanted to have him in the boat with them. Right? When Jesus says, it is I, he uses those words, and I said it in the Greek, ego amin. Everybody say ego amin. Kind of sounds like ego my lego, or ego my, right? Ego my ego. Ego amin. I'm so happy to be preaching to an audience that's old enough to remember that. You get a bunch of like, like teenagers and below, and they're like, what? Egos. They were awesome and full of chemicals. <laughs> Jesus says, ego amin. Uh, there's a significance to that. In fact, Jesus uses that phrase a few times in the book of John. He says, for example, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection of the life. He says to the Pharisees, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He says to his disciples, I am the good shepherd. Uh, he says, I am the gate. Uh, he says, uh, he uses these phrases, I am, I am, I am, I am the bread of life, he says. Uh, and whenever you see that in the book of John, uh, there should be a little uh, trigger that kind of goes off in your brain because ego mean I am, those two words, I am, it, just doesn't, it doesn't just mean this is who I am. But in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, that is the name of God. Ego Amin. This is the name that when God was speaking to Moses and Moses said, who should I say sent me? And the Lord said, tell them Yahweh. That means I am sent you. Ego Amin. In the Greek, it would be translated Ego Amin. Tell them Yahweh sent you. I am who I am. I am. So it's the name of God. So when Jesus tells the disciples, Ego Amin, He's putting a little pointer out for them. Okay, now watch this. Genesis 1. Who can quote Genesis 1 to me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, or I'm sorry, in the beginning was uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It's taking a lot harder to get to Genesis 1 1. Yeah, right. Gosh. And the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It hovered over the waters. And then God begins to create with his words. And he begins to bring order out of chaos. He begins to separate the waters from one another and create land. So you have chaos. You have water. You have a symbol of death and destruction. And God is hovering over it. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters and begins to speak order into chaos. 
Now, you see what I'm doing here? In John, Jesus is walking over disrupted waters, rough winds, rough waves. And he approaches his disciples and he says, Ego in me. It is me. I am. And then he touches the boat and the waves disappear. So there's, there's a bit of a parallel there, right? There's a bit of a parallel there. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters, Jesus walking over the waters, Jesus speaking calm to waves that are tumultuous. And I want to say that that same Jesus can be present in your life as well. That same God who at the beginning of all time spoke order out of chaos, he still does it today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? And John doesn't actually record whether Jesus gets in the boat. That's why I didn't say that he did. Because John doesn't actually record that Jesus got into the boat. It literally says they wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the land. They wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the dry land. Doesn't say that he got in there. Now he may have. He may have gotten in, but it doesn't say that he did, right? What's the significance of that? That's sort of odd, isn't it? In all the other Gospels, it records Jesus getting into the boat. But here it just says that they wanted him to get into the boat, and then they reached dry land. That's odd. Anytime you come across something odd like that in Scripture, don't jump over it. Don't just wrestle it with it for a bit. Okay, I'm going to wrestle with that for, for a bit. This is what I think he's talking about. Friends, Jesus is searching your hearts. Jesus looks deep within We like to present a certain kind of persona to the people around us. Facebook is a great way to do this, where you get to post all of the things about your life that are going well, and all the pictures that you put up there of yourself have been well, you know, vetted by you, and, you know, I'm only going to put a picture up there that makes me look decent, you know. All of that is how I want to be perceived by the world. Jesus looks past all of that and gets down into your heart. And looks at your heart, searching your motives, searching your intentions, searching your innermost thoughts. And not in a creeper way of sort of like, oh, Jesus, don't, don't look at me like that. Jesus searches your hearts because he wants to know you intimately. The God of the universe wants to know you intimately. He has created you. He's seen you since the day you were conceived until now, and he sees you all the way until your end. And he wants to know you. And he wants to be with you. Sometimes I think we want Jesus to come into our boat. But we feel a bit lost at sea. Not sure exactly how to get him into my boat. You know? Or maybe I've been going to church for decades, but still I feel like there's a distance between me and him. Or maybe I'm just sort of beginning my journey and I I really want Jesus to be in my boat. I have a desire to get him in there. I think that we should be amazed at how much God honors an honest heart. An honest heart that says, Lord, I have a desire to get to know you. I don't know exactly how to do that, God, but I have a desire to get to know you. There was a uh, one story that I come back to often because it speaks to me, and that is a father of a, of a child 
uh, who engaged in self-destructive behaviors. In fact, uh, Mark tells us that the boy would often throw himself into a fire or, or hurt himself. And you can imagine this father is very uh, distraught over this. I would be if that was my son. And he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, if you're able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. If you're able to do anything, just please have pity and help us. And Jesus says to him, all things can be done for the one who believes. And the man replies, Lord, I believe. Please help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief, God. And Jesus honors that man's request, and he heals that boy. There's something about that story that, that really gets to me because, you know, sometimes I think that we all go through dark paths. We all go through times of confusion, like those disciples on the lake. There are times in our lives the waves start to come in. We know Jesus. We know him. We know he loves us. We know he's there for us. But when those waves start to come in and the wind starts to blow, all of a sudden, all of the trust that we had last week is no longer available to us. And we want Jesus to come into our boat, but we don't know how to get him there. I want to be close to you, Lord. I have a desire to know you. I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me, God, because there's areas of my life where I get to the end of my rope. Help me be that person who gets, gets there, who's there to make that gap. Help me when I get to the end of my strength to rely on your strength. I hope it's not too disturbing to you to know that your pastor needs to rely on God sometimes too. Uh, I often come before God and say, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. I can't find this strength in myself. I got no words here for myself. I need something to reach out and get into my boat. I don't even know exactly how to get you there, Lord, but I need you there. I want you there. And immediately it says, the boat reached the other side. So if you're here today, I don't know where you are in your journey. Everybody here is in a different spot on their journey. But if you're here today and you say, I, I, I want Jesus to get in my boat, I'm not sure exactly how to get him there. There's times in my life when he's there, I feel his presence. But then there's other times when I feel like, man, I don't know where he is. I want you to, to challenge yourself to be honest before the Lord. God looks for an honest and contrite heart. Those are the kind of hearts that he honors. Not the kind of hearts that are built up in, in pride and, and a desire to look well in front of other people. Not the Facebook heart. God's not interested in your Facebook page. He really doesn't care. He doesn't have a Facebook account. Okay? He's interested in you, who you are, What's going on inside of your heart? What's happening with your desire? What journey you're on? That's the God we serve. The one who sees you and knows you. Tommy Walker uh, had a song. It goes, He knows my name. You know this one? He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls 
and he hears me when I cry. Yeah. I have a father. He knows my name. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. Brothers and sisters, God knows your name. Before you came into this world, even before you were conceived, God saw you and he knew you and he held you in his hands. When we talk about being a Christian, we talk about following Jesus. We're not talking about putting on some kind of fake persona. We're talking about discovering and following after God. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's why we're called Christians. Do you know that? Our name means little Christs. Little Christ is actually a gay name that was given to us in, uh, to insult us by the Romans. Oh, those people, those are the, the Christ people, you know. They serve the Christ. Little Christ, little Christ people. Little Christians. That's what they are. We take that with honor. We follow after Christ. So we're going to pray. And I want to give you an opportunity. Like I said, I don't, I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith. That's a moving, that's appropriate music. Huh? But wherever you are, wherever you are in your faith, if you're at a place where you say, you know what, I need Jesus to step into my boat a little bit more. We're going to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to receive that. Now, for some of us, that might be for the first time. For some of us, it might be for the 80th time. I'm not going to tell you not to receive Jesus. Everybody here hates Jesus. So let's pray together. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, sometimes this life is like a raging storm. But you know our name. Lord, though the waves may grow high and the wind blows, you say, don't be afraid. It is me. I am. And Jesus, we come before you as a people, as individuals, but also as a group that would say, Lord, we need more of you. I want you in my boat, Jesus. I need you here with me. I need you to make up all of the gaps that I have in my faith. Help me in my unbelief, Lord. I have an intention of you joining me in this boat. And so if that's you, if you would be honest to say, God, I, uh, I need to come before you. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. A step of faith is simply an acknowledgement of something that's already transpiring inside of you. There's nothing magical about it. But I want to encourage you, if you feel like God is impressing on your heart, you need to reach out and take Jesus on board your boat, would you stand up wherever you are? Would you take that step of faith? And like I said, this might be the first time, this might be the hundredth time, but if in your life you say, I need Jesus in my boat right now, would you stand up?
Let's pray together. Would you repeat after me? Oh, oh Lord, I need you in my boat. Please come into my life. Please renew your love with me. Thank you for being the Lord, the one who calms the seas. Help me to live my life in remembrance of you and of who you are. Thank you for your presence. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me say a blessing on you. In the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, may your days be bright. May they be full of the Spirit of God. May Scripture come alive in your heart. May fellowship pour out of your lips and through your hands. Go into this world to be little Christs, to help those in need, and to be followers of Jesus. By the power of God, and through the honoring of the Father, through the blood of Christ, we all say together, Amen. Amen. Hug on somebody, love on somebody. If that was the first time you prayed that prayer, please come and see.